Thank you, Steve. It's uh, really good to have you here. What a great group. It's good to have uh, all of you here today. Uh, uh, we've got uh, visitors and um, some old friends that are back and family members. It's just good that all of you are here. <clears throat> In your bulletin, you got a ballot to vote about. Uh, last week, our transition team shared with us um, their proposal that uh, we have this as our we have this as our guide going forward, as our mission statement, as our purpose going forward, and we ask you now to respond and uh, to vote. Take your ballot, if you will, vote. Uh, do that right now, if you will. Take your ballot and vote. And um, our deacons are back here. They'll come forward and uh, pick up your ballots, and we will count all those. And for those of you who, I, I, I cannot overstate uh, what a good job I thought the transition team did when they presented this last week. But I want you to know this came from them. This came from the leaders that you, as a congregation, put on the transition team. And uh, I, I serve as a guide to them, but I don't tell them what to do. And uh, I'll give my input when they ask for it. But uh, they made the decision. It's important you know this came from them and came from the members of the congregation that this be our, our mission, our purpose, our focus point as we go forward from this time on. And I encourage you to vote on that just now. Those of you who are at home on Facebook, I want to say that there's an attachment where you can vote uh, on Facebook. You can fill out that attachment and send it in, and we will count your votes just as much as any of those that are here. And I also want to tell you, for some reason, if you're like some of us that are a little bit older and you're not uh, that uh, savvy about the stuff that happens on your computer and Facebook, uh, call us in the office and we'll record your vote that way. But uh, I would encourage you to, to uh, vote for this. And as you vote for it, of course, if we vote for it as a congregation, then this will affirm uh, our decision that we will be using this as a mission and purpose statement um, as our focus point going forward from this particular point. So extremely important thing that we're doing at this point. <clears throat> and I want to encourage all of you to participate. My text is found today in a couple of places. The first place is in Second in Titus, excuse me, Titus, the book of Titus, uh, chapter three, and I'm going to begin reading with verse three. Titus three three. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. I want to talk to you today about grace. But I want to use the broad picture of grace. Sometimes we, we divide grace into grace is receiving something that we don't deserve. Mercy is when we don't receive something that we do deserve. And uh, love and kindness and all of these terms are rolled together in this passage and the other passage that I will use. For instance, if you look in verse 4 there, the passage that we just used, you've got the word kindness. Romans 2, 4, it says, don't you know that it is God's kindness 
that leads us to repentance. God's kindness that leads us. And then that same verse, we've got the word love, Romans 5a. God demonstrates his own love toward us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. All of these things we wrote in the broad picture of grace. Now Paul is writing to Titus, one of his one of his children in the ministry, one of his boys in the ministry. He's writing to Titus. And I want you to notice down in verse 8, he says, I want you to stress these things. And that's exactly what we're trying to do today. I want you to understand that. If, you, if you've got your Bible open there, if you'll turn back just one page, uh, turn back to, uh, to 2 Timothy um, chapter 2. He's speaking there to his other son of the ministry. And there he says, so, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace, extremely important. Now, now, now grace would be important to Paul because Paul was a persecutor of the church, persecutor of the Christians, and yet God saved him. And he knew above all. He, he says that in 1 Peter, he says, Faithful saved were of all acceptation that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, he said. He knew he needed grace. And because he knew he needed grace, it became a cornerstone of his gospel and everything he said. He's sort of the champion of grace. Look with me now in Ephesians chapter 2. A more familiar passage, of course, and it begins that we were, we were born physically, we were born spiritually dead, and we must be born uh, from above or born again in order to be, have spiritual life. And then in verse 4, he says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works that no one should boast. Again, you, you notice the broadness of what we're talking about. We have, these, we have these terms here. His love, his mercy, his grace, his kindness. And uh, about four times here it talks about his grace. I, I want us to think about grace in that broad perspective that sort of covers all those areas uh, as, we, as we think today. Lou and I, have uh, we've gone on cruises. We enjoy going on cruises, mainly because my wife doesn't like to cook. But anyway... Um, we, we've enjoyed going on cruises and one of the things that happens when you're on a cruise is on Sunday they have, they have a Catholic service and they have a Protestant service you ever, ever been in a, on a cruise you know what I'm talking about and so we always go to the Protestant service and of course the Protestant service is usually not really uh, something that appeals to us evangelical Christians it's, they usually have something, somebody there that, that leads the service that more high church kind of person that leads the service. It's okay, they do a good job. But on one of the cruises where we were, after the service was over, one of the men who probably wasn't satisfied that uh, this was spiritually satisfying to him personally, started singing the hymn, Amazing Grace. He just started singing the hymn, Amazing Grace. And as he sang the hymn, Amazing Grace, everybody joined in and sang the hymn, Amazing Grace with him. And somehow for those of us who are more evangelical in our, in our thinking, our, our thought process, we all fell in and sang together Amazing Grace, a very fulfilling kind of experience. Amazing Grace, of course, hymn written by John Newton, 
And um, I'll talk to you about John Newton at another time, probably one of the times when we celebrate communion, I'll talk to you and tell you his story. But John Newton was a terrible man. Uh, he lived a profligate life. Uh, he, he went down, down, down in terms of his life. He, uh, he traded slaves. He was a slave runner, traded slaves. And he was just a terrible man. And, and, and like, like Paul, in a different way, John Newton knew that if he was ever to be right with God, it had to be by grace. And there in that hold in that ship, on that day when, when his life was about gone, he began to pray and he found God's grace. He became a pastor. You may know this. He became a pastor and, and uh, pastored, uh, because he was a seafaring man, he pastored a church that was on the shore and was able to reach a lot of those uh, seafaring men because of, because of the, uh, his background himself. But he's the one that wrote Amazing Grace. You know the song. If I were to start singing, you could sing along with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. Grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first believed. Let me tell you something. That line, that line in that song is so meaningful. If most of you, I'm guessing, became Christians as, as children and you never were terrible. You never walk on the other side. But there's some of us that spent some time walking on the other side. And when we came to God, we, had to, we knew that our only hope was, was grace. And how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. I tell you, it's, it's just, I re it resonates with me. And then he goes on to the, the further meaning of grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And then the fourth verse, his actual poem, Newton's poem, uh, is actually seven verses long. And uh, for years we only, knew, we only knew those three verses, and then that fourth verse that we all loved, that John Newton didn't write, somebody else wrote that, that last verse, that says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. We don't even know who it was, some anonymous person wrote that and added it in there. And the Baptist hymnal, about the second or third version of the Baptist hymnal, I don't know which one exactly, but uh, uh, started putting in the fourth verse. And it, it was a verse that, that came from Newton and from Newton's poem uh, initially. The fourth verse, the Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will meet my shield and portion be as long as time endures. And we've, that's become a part of our song, so now we sing the fourth song. And then, then the last one. Uh, there actually were three more verses uh, that, he, that he put together in that song. Amazing, amazing grace. Chris Tomlin wrote uh, a new contemporary version of that song. And it's called, it's entitled, My Chains Are Gone. My Chains Are Gone. And he actually uses uh, the, first, uh, the first two verses of Amazing Grace, just like, just like Newton wrote in the first place. And then he adds... He adds this, and you remember when we sing it here, it's just it's a, a beautiful song. And it says, uh, the, the first two verses, and he says, My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns. Unfailing love, amazing grace. And then he goes on to sing uh, the, the, the uh, verse about uh, the Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as time endures. 
uh, talking about the great promises we have in the Word of God, um, you know, and then he, come, then he comes back and sings again, my chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a, a flood, his mercy reigns, unfailing love, um, unending love, amazing grace. And then he goes to the last verse, and this is actually the last verse of, 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 true, of uh, Newton's hymn. See, many of us don't know that because we don't know all the verses of Newton's original poem. But uh, that, that verse is, The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. And if you want to have your heart touched, you Google, my chains are gone, and listen to Chris Tomlin sing that song. And I want to tell you, if you Google, my chains are gone, and listen to Chris Tomlin sing that song, if your heart's not touched, then you need, some, you need, you got heart problems. <laughs> you just got heart problems. I mean, I cannot listen to him sing that song without weeping, literally weeping. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. We sing about it. We call it the Baptist anthem, the anthem right? Now, um, Bill Gaither, when he, wrote, when he wrote his song, The King is Coming, you remember the third verse, The King is Coming? Uh, I can hear the chariots rumble. I can see the marching throng as the chariots, uh, as, uh, as the trumpet, God's trumpet spells the ends of dread and wrong. Regal robes are now unfurling. Heaven's grandstands all in place. Heaven's choir is now assembled, and they start to sing. That's right. Amazing grace. It'll be the first song we sing when we get there. Because when we get there, we'll get there by grace. No other way. When we get there, we'll get there by grace. And it'll be the last song we sing. Because all those years we've been, we're still there, there by grace. So I want to talk to you about grace, and I want to talk to you about understanding grace. Because we Baptists, we Baptists will fight over it. We'll literally fight over grace. We'll argue with people. We'll fight over grace, you know. We just don't believe it or practice it. <laughs> and I want, to, I want to talk to you about the importance of understanding grace according to the Word of God, and understanding this kind of grace that we're talking about. And the first thing that I want to say is how important it is we must receive His grace. You see, grace is a gift. Grace is like giving a gift, and someone gives you a gift, you must reach out and receive that gift. And we must receive His grace, and we receive His grace when we receive Christ as our personal Savior. And it's very clear in, in the first chapter of John, those of us have been studying John on Wednesday night, in the first chapter of John, it's very clear. He was in the world, the world was made by him, the world did not recognize him, he came to his own, his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right or the power to become children of God. So what does it mean to believe in his faith? What, what does it mean? We're saved by, 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 by grace through faith. What does it mean to have that faith? It means we receive him as our personal Lord and Savior. It says it right there in the scripture. It's tied up. You know, uh, to receive is to believe. To believe is to receive. That's just exactly the way it is. And we understand. We understand how important we, it is that we ask him. Uh, how, do we get, how do we enter into this kingdom? We simply ask him to come into our heart. You know, the Lord said, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will open the door, I will come into him. We simply ask him to come in. 
Romans 10, 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that comes from Joel, chapter 2, verse, the, the Old Testament book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 32. And, and it says there, there'll come a day, it shall come to pass, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, as he preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter used that very verse and said, that day is here, that day is now here, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we simply ask, as Frederick Beckner said, uh, how do we do this? We simply ask. We simply ask. And if we don't have enough faith, we say, Lord, give me more faith. And if someone tells us we don't have enough faith, we go on having a faith we can have anyway. And he says, Beckner says that's the most we can do, but thank God, he says, it's enough. One thing I can guarantee you today, if anyone asks Jesus Christ to come into their heart and make them a child of God, it will happen. I guarantee you, it will happen. And that's the way we receive grace. And that's the important thing that I want to start off with. We must receive his grace. Not something we earn. It's about grace. It's about a gift. We simply receive the gift, and we receive the gift when we receive Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Now, the second thing that I'm going to say is we must continue to receive his grace. Continue to receive his grace. Because you see, what happens is we get that initial uh, uh, wonderful, his mercy reigns. I mean, like a, like a flood, his mercy reigns. We, we, we get this, this immediate flood of grace that comes into our heart when we become a Christian. But we also get, get more, more grace and more grace. Now again, uh, pardon to the ones on Wednesday night that we're studying with, but in John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says this, Out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That term, grace in place of grace already given, is, is to be understood like, have you, ever stood, have you ever stood on the seashore and watched the waves come in? And the wave comes in, and, it, and as the wave goes out, it doesn't even get all the way out. As the wave begins to go out, a new wave comes in. This is the way grace happens in our life. Grace upon grace. Wave after wave of grace. Every time we pray and ask God to forgive us of our sin. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every time we ask God to forgive us our sins, we, we get a new shot of grace, if you please. We get a new wave of grace. And grace is always also there to help us face the problems that we have in life. God, give us the grace to face the stuff we've got to face in life. As the problems come, he gives us grace. In, in the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul is, uh, is, is praying, I had this thorn in flesh. Three times, he says, I asked God to remove the thorn in flesh. I don't think it's just three prayers. I think it was three seasons of prayer, probably seasons of fasting and prayer. Three times, he says, I asked God to, to relieve me of this thorn in the flesh. But God did not do that. What did God say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. I will give you the grace you need to face it and go on. Go on with life. That's what I'm talking about. We must continue to receive his grace. I want, I want to tell you about Annie Johnson Flint. Annie Johnson Flint was an amazing woman. She was born in 1866, died in 1932. 
Um, by the time she was six, she had lost both her parents. By the time she was a teenager, uh, she, she had this terrible arthritis, terrible crippling arthritis. By the time she was a teenager, she was un unable to use her legs. In time, she got to the point where she was unable to use her hands. And yet she lived for several years. And uh, she wrote this hymn. And you've probably heard this hymn before. This hymn was first published in the 40s when our world was involved in World War II. Was the first time that this this hymn was published. It's become a favorite. I don't know how it ever, never got in one of our hymn books, but I have some other complaints about the hymn books too, you know. <laughs> but it's a great hymn, and you've probably heard some specialists sing, some soloist or some group sing this before. I want to give you the words. This is a woman who was bedridden, had all the problems of being bedridden, uh, unable to move, unable to use her hands or her legs. This is what she wrote. He giveth more grace as the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as the labors increase. To added afflictions he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials his multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus he giveth and giveth and giveth again. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in what I considered a tough situation and I prayed simply, God help me get through this situation. And he did. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you know what it is to receive that grace. When you go through the trials, the tribulations of life, and a lot of us have gone through that in recent days. We go through the trials and tribulations of, of life. He gives us the grace. He doesn't always take away the trial and tribulation. <laughs> when Lou and I had the, the virus, he didn't take the virus away. But he gave us the grace to get through the virus. And this is the thing that I want you to know, you know, in your heart. He does that. In, in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Um, he, he begins talking. I, I want to talk about Hebrews 4.16. In the verses before, beginning about verse 12 or 13, he starts saying, we have a great high priest. Talk about Jesus. We have a great high priest. And he understands what we go through because he's gone through all that stuff himself, yet without sin. That's what he says. And then it says, then it says this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We must continue to receive that wave upon wave upon wave of grace. He giveth and giveth and giveth again. The third thing that I'm going to say is we must see others through the eyes of grace. There's a story Jesus told in the 20th chapter of Matthew 
about a vineyard owner who went out and hired somebody to come work in his vineyard at 6 o'clock in the morning. You all remember this story, right? Uh, 6 o'clock in the morning, came at 9 o'clock, came at 12 o'clock, came at 3 o'clock, hired people every time. Came at 5 o'clock, that's only one hour before the end of the work day at 6, 6 p.m. Came at 5 o'clock and hired some more people to go out. And those people worked only for one hour. And then at the end of the day, when, when it came time to pay, he ordered his servants to pay the last ones first. And when they went up there, they got a full day's pay. They got a full day's pay. Well, the, the first guys got mad. We've been here all day long. We worked through the sweat of the day, the heat of the day, and all that. Well, I mean, we stood through all of this stuff, and you made them equal to us. That's the word. Y'all don't miss it. You made them equal to us. Uh, we're in that freeze. Uh, we got three bird feeders at our house. And when we were in that freeze, I had to go out just about every day and fill those bird feeders up. I mean, the birds couldn't get down to the ground or whatever. You know, they're on top of the ice and the snow. Boy, I'm telling you, they really inhabited our bird feeders, you know. But I noticed that in the bird world, there's always a pecking order. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen the buzzards? Have you ever seen the buzzards eating something on the side of the road? There's a couple of them over there eating on that stuff, and the rest of them standing around waiting their turn. There's a pecking order. It's sort of, sort of, a, sort of a, a, a natural deal. If we're not careful, we fall into a pecking order, whatever we're doing. Listen, I worked in a seminary. I know what a pecking order is. <laughs> There's a pecking order. But I want to tell you, in God's kingdom, in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we're all equal. You've made them equal to us. I was even mentoring pastor at one place where, where one family came up and said, we have been here long enough to have a say. We've only been here 23 years. You've made them equal to us. It may not happen out there in the world. It may not happen where you work, no matter where you work. But in the kingdom of God, in the church, we are all equal. You have made, God has made them equal to us because we all get there the same way, and that's by grace. That's by grace. All of them equal the same way. Fourth thing I want to say is we must, we must understand that others can receive grace also. And we say, well, they're not worthy of it. Well, who is? Who is? If you've got anybody here that's worthy of grace, let me know who you are, because I, I'd like to know. None of us are worthy of it. It's all about grace for all of us. And so it's not about being worthy. I want to share a personal story, if you'll allow me. My grandfather, my mother's father, was a very successful businessman in Wichita Falls. He was a deacon in two different churches, different times, but two different churches he was a deacon. And the buildings that they've got in those two churches, you know, his name's on the, the plaque that says the building committee, those who led us out in building this church, you know. His name's there. He's very successful as a businessman. But he was mean. He was mean. My mother was one of six children. And uh, he never forgave my mother. Because she married a boy from the other side of town, a poor boy. Boy from a single, single parent family. 
boy who had to go to work at age nine in order to help put food on the table. She married that boy, and that boy became a preacher. And my grandfather thought he was a gold digger. And my grandfather never forgave my mother for marrying my father, the preacher. Through the years, I watched my father try to gain, um, you know, try, try to prove himself to my grandfather. But he never could prove himself to my grandfather. And when my grandfather died, he cut my mother out of the inheritance. And of all those people, our family, I mean, listen, my dad was a preacher back when they didn't pay preachers like they do now. Of all those people, our family needed it more than any other family needed. But he cut my mother out of the inheritance, and it broke my mother's heart. It broke her heart. And from that time, she began to, 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 to have health problems and become a sickly person. And she died early. And I think a broken heart was a big part of it. I'll always believe that. And I want to tell you something, folks. Hell's not hot enough for my grandfather. I want you to understand what I'm saying. This is, I carried this resentment, anger, and hate for years. Hell is not hot enough for my grandfather. But one day, God spoke to me. Not in a voice. I'd love to have God speak to me in a voice. But let me tell you, he let me know. God spoke to me. <clears throat> And he said to me, Levi, you need my grace, right? Oh, yes, Lord, I need your grace. I wouldn't have a prayer if it wasn't for your grace. Your grace is sufficient for me. And then the Lord said, if my grace is sufficient for you, it's also sufficient for your grandfather. Changed my whole attitude. Made me begin to understand what grace means. And I'm trying to explain to you today what grace means. Oh yeah, there are people that are not worthy of it. But I'm not worthy of it either. And neither are you. None of us are worthy of it. And if his grace is sufficient for me, his grace is also sufficient for that other person, no matter how unworthy I think they are. That's it. My grace is sufficient for you and for him and for her and for that person and that person is sufficient. The last point that I'd like to make is that we must be the vehicle of grace for others. We must embody God's grace for others. We must be the vehicle of grace for others. <clears throat> Matthew 10, 8 says, Freely you have received, freely give. Again, there's a story in Matthew 18 about a guy that was forgiven 10,000 talents. One talent was about 15 years of a, of a working man's salary. Uh, 10,000 talents would be, it'd take 150 years to earn that kind of money, to pay off his debt. But he asked you, and he was forgiven. And then he went to a fellow worker. Remember, you, you, hopefully you remember the story. Went to a fellow worker, and that guy owed him about three months. Now, three months is significant. 
I, I don't misunderstand this. Three months is significant. It seems like insignificant because 10,000 to 100 denarii, denarii with one day's labor. It, it seems insignificant, but it's not. Not many of us would, could survive if we, were, if we had to go three months without any kind of income. So we're not talking about something insignificant. It was a significant debt. But he would not forgive that debt. And he had been forgiven 10,000, 150 years worth of debt. And he, would not, he could not forgive three months worth of debt. And God was not happy with him about that. You see, once we have received grace, we must give grace. We must be the vehicle of God's grace to others. God, how many of you have needed grace at some point and God gave you that grace through another person? We must be the vehicle of God's grace. We must be the embodiment of God's grace. When somebody walks in this door and they're not a Christian and we treat them badly, they think God treats them badly. We've got to be the vehicle of God's grace in every way, the embodiment of God's grace. So I've had the audacity to write another verse to the hymn Amazing Grace. Uh, I've always written rhyme. I've been good with rhyme. I've always written rhyme. You know, I, I mainly have used it in my pastoral. Sometimes, like every year when our seniors would graduate from high school, I would write a rhyme about each one of them, you know. I've always been able to write rhymes. I even, I even uh, answered a, a test one time in my freshman uh, English class at Baylor. I, I actually answered the test in rhyme, the whole thing in rhyme. I thought my teacher would be impressed, but she wasn't. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, I've always been able to write rhyme. And so I've had the audacity to add one more verse to Amazing Grace. And I want to share that verse with you right now, all right? And this is it. Amazing grace, God set me free from all the things I've done. And now I know that I must be God's grace to everyone. And it works. I want you to listen to me. It works. I'm not a singer, so you understand that. But I want, I want you to listen to me. Well, actually, I sing as good as some of these guys that sing nowadays. So, you know. <laughs> but, but I'm not a singer. But I want <clears throat> Amazing grace, God set me free from all the things I've done. And now I know that I must be God's grace to everyone. Listen, it'll never make the hymn book, but it's good theology. <laughs> God has given us his grace. And he wants us to be the vehicle of his grace to everyone out there. That's the idea. Let's pray together. More than anything else, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We would not have a chance, we would not have a prayer without your grace. Not only of getting to heaven, but making it through life. We're so thankful for your grace. And I pray that today, somehow, in this group of people, we will all take a look at the whole facet of grace and what grace means if there be anyone here who has never received you as Lord and Savior I pray that they would receive you today and if there's anyone here today Lord that 
needs your grace to face some trial or tribulation that they're dealing with right now. God, give them the grace they need because your grace is sufficient. Give them the grace they need. And I pray that we're going our way just rejoicing in the fact that we've received your grace and help us, God, to embody that grace for other people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to have a time of invitation, altar call. Um, I had a family tell me last Wednesday night, come visit us last Wednesday night, and said, I've tried to join your church, but you never gave me a chance. So I want you to know I'm giving you a chance right now. No, seriously. You don't have to come forward. You can if God leads you to. You don't have to come forward. But I want you to open your heart to God and see what God has to say to you today. And if God leads you, you pray about it. You make whatever decision you need to make to follow through with that. Let's sing together. Uh -huh.